Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, While I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Hi, I'm Jed Bodwin, and I live in Wichita, Kansas. I am a Patreon supporter for Creative Control. I discovered Creative Control some years ago, I think maybe while looking for interviews with Tommy Stinson of The Replacements, and uh, I stumbled across this conversation that Vish had with Tommy Stinson that was really insightful. Vish held his own. I think Tommy can be a little bit of a difficult interview at times, and it went really well, and it really uh, got into some areas that I wasn't expecting, and I thought, gosh, I have to listen to more of this guy and his podcast. Sometimes I'm not necessarily a fan of the music or musicians that uh, Vish will have on the show, but I always appreciate their creative process a little bit more. And uh, more times than not, though, it does lead me to uh, finding a new musical artist that I'm interested in or to think a little bit differently about maybe some artists whose work I've overlooked. So, you know, go ahead, and if you've been waiting at all to support Vish and Creative Control, now is probably the best time to do it. I know as a public radio employee here in Kansas, listener-supported broadcasting, whether it's podcasts or radio itself, really isn't a thing of the past. It's actually very much a thing of both the present and the future. So, yay Vish, yay Creative Control. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, Please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. Creative Control with Vish Dana Gould is one of the most gifted comedic voices of his generation and has long lived in Los Angeles, California. 
Originally from Boston, where he became a stand-up star in the 1980s, Gould moved to California at the end of that decade, where he secured writing and or acting gigs on The Ben Stiller Show, Seinfeld, Roseanne, Mystery Men, and many more films and TV shows. Between 2001 and 2007, he was a writer and producer on The Simpsons, but still tended to his own stand-up and film work, and later released specials like a 2017's Mr. Funny Man via Kill Rockstars. And, with Bobcat Goldthwait, he co-stars in the recent documentary slash special, Joyride. On Saturday, May 28, 2022, at 6 p.m., Dana performs at the Rio Theater as part of Just for Laughs Vancouver, and this prompted us to have a nice chat about his start in comedy and why he and I have maintained a sober lifestyle. His issues with control and why he can't hang out in submarines, how comedians like George Carlin, Richard Pryor, Albert Brooks, and Steve Martin altered his life, his audition for Saturday Night Live and eventual work with the cast and crew of The Ben Stiller Show, being at peace with himself and his career, The Simpsons' evolution in response to calls to alter his voice cast to be more reflective of the cultures they represent, his current act and how the Joyride Project with Bobcat Goldthwait took shape, his own podcast and pursuits, other future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creativecontrol, plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, each located in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 689 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Dana Gould, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Dana. How's it going? Hey, Vish. How are you today? I'm well. Thanks for joining me. Uh, right off the top, before I get to where you are and what's going on, I need to apologize. We were meant to speak last Thursday, uh, but I was en route to Tulsa, Oklahoma from Edmonton, Alberta, which is a 14-hour trek. Ugh. And I got caught in Denver, and they, the pilot told us before we got on the plane that he probably couldn't land in Tulsa that night on the Wednesday. And then he said, but we're going to try anyway. He described like a hellscape of climate change, weather problems, took us to Denver, circled back and said, sorry, guys, can't land. Tornadoes, crazy storms, got to take us back to Denver. So it was frustrating. Oh. Like, yeah, we- you never want to hear. You never want to hear. We're going to try it anyway. <laughs> Our lives We're hang in roll the balance. Dice. <laughs> Burn a bunch of fuel, even though we know... <laughs> conclusively, we won't be able to land this plane where we're meant yeah. to go. I thought it was odd. Anyway, as a result, you and I, uh, I really, really apologize. I've never stood anyone up. Oh, that's up. not a problem at okay. all. Okay, I felt bad. It was out of my control. It was it was the weather. It was a plane. I, I just wanted to say, it's an honor to speak with you. I'm a fan. Oh, well, you're very kind, and yeah. I have a, yeah, I... Anytime something gets delayed, I'm like, oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I appreciate that as well. So, that out of the way, where in the world are you today, Dana? 
I'm uh, speaking to you from uh, the beautiful sunny city of Los Angeles, California. Nice. And you've been there a long time. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I moved here in uh, 1989. Oh, wow. And prior to that, I lived in San Francisco for a couple of years, but I'm from Boston originally. Right. And uh, you talk about Boston sometimes in your act. Was, was Boston cool to grow up in, come up in? Well, I only know, uh, I don't know anything else. <laughs> um, it's taken me a while to recover, so I'm not sure if cool is the word you'd use, but uh, it was, you know, it was really interesting. It was really great. Um, it was a great place to be a stand-up when I was doing it because there was just so much opportunity and, the, you know, the supply and demand was really weighted towards supply and you know i was making uh, i was doing it i got so much stage time and was actually making money like really right out of the gate and um largely because i had a car and i didn't do coke so (laughs) the other comedians on the show that were older and more established knew that i could drive to the gig and get them back and they didn't have to offer me their Coke. So I worked a lot. And and the crowds were tough. You know, it's a it's a port city, it's a mm-hmm. it's a working class city and it was like marine it was like boot camp. It was like marine boot camp. Like if you if you came out of the Boston scene when I was there anyway, you absolutely were not afraid of any crowd. Yeah. Now I myself have never uh drank or done drugs of any kind, so I Oh, me neither. Well, yeah. there you go. So we're similar. We're similar yeah, and I I want to get into that a little bit because it's not I think it's more normal now. You hear about it more. People are like, yeah, I don't do that. Or I did all that stuff and now I don't. You know, people get sober. Yeah. That's common. But um, yeah, so I was going to say I was often the designated driver as well. Because, yeah. yeah. hey, can you road manage our tour? Like bands would ask me. I'm like, oh, you heard that I don't have fun. <laughs> That's why you're asking. We heard you were we heard you were a grown-up. <laughs> so yeah, I did that's my experience too. But what do you suppose helped you avoid those trappings because they're very Oh, I I don't I don't know, suppose it. I know it exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, my family of origin was uh, heavily inebriated or drug influenced all the time and it was literally uh you know both my parents drank all of their friends drank all of our relatives drank all my older siblings friends were on were on drugs uh as they were so to me it was just i was the i as i've described it before I was the Marilyn Munster of the family <laughs> you know i was uh um uh, yeah, I went. I went against the grain, and uh, that uh, that worked out really. Uh, that worked out really well for me. In the end, I don't have any. Uh, you know, I think it worked out well. No, I <laughs> I don't miss it. Like I do. I'll have a beer. Like if I'm eating something yeah. that a beer goes with, like a steak or or pizza, I'll have a beer right. if it's very cold. Mm-hmm. But I don't like to get drunk. All that said probably not normal it's, you know like it, i'm such a control freak that's what i was gonna get to uh with that because i initially what would happen is i'd see my friends in like grade school you know when they first discover you can drink you know grade seven grade eight whatever it was and they were out of control 
And uh, I think I had a bit. I think I know. Yeah, grade I, seven, grade eight. I now know I have some anxiety issues, and I like to control my situation. So how mm-hmm. uh, you you hit the nail on the head there, and I, I think that's that's probably part of why we have abstained. We don't want to be out of control. We maybe have some control issues, and that's beyond me thinking. Maybe it was dumb. I will just say that. Like, mm-hmm. I, why would you do that? Why would you want to be in the moment, present? People like to escape their their realities but do you think you it sounds like you do you feel like you have some control issues and that's probably also why you mostly abstain oh 100 yeah. yeah no i'm like I, I i'm i am riven with control issues um you know and, and i think a lot of it comes from growing up in chaos you know from growing up in just there was never any stability to anything mm-hmm. you never knew who was walking through the door and if you knew the person, you didn't know what version of the person you were getting. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was so yeah, I'm very much uh, a controlling. My only uh, phobia is elevators because once you get in an elevator, you have no control over what happens. If it gets stuck, you will be in that elevator till someone comes and lets you out. There's no doorknob <laughs> to, mm. to get out. You are at the mercy of the of the fates. Uh, and what, so, what about what about airplanes? Because I just had this. I like I said, two 14 hour travel days. Yeah, that's a lot. For some reason, to, I don't have an issue with airplanes, with but airplanes? I do yeah. with but I do with submarines. Uh, I'm not lying. Have you, we were, have you been on a submarine, really? Well, you'd think I was in a. a we were in Hawaii with my with my uh, family, and we were going on a submarine to look at fish with my kids. Oh, you know, and right. and it's a glass bottom submarine or whatever. And we're going out on the boat to meet the submarine, and I just nope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Did you panic? And, uh, I, I did. I did. And yeah. uh, I went in the yeah. submarine and uh, I just went, said, uh, this isn't for me and uh, and left. I'm having these experiences. So I'm uh, as I talked about, I think I could my- do it now. I think could I could do-, do it now. Oh, what's changed? Um, I don't know. I think I could breathe. I think I could breathe through it. If it has a bathroom, I'm fine. Like, I'm not afraid I'm going to get stuck in a submarine and die. I'm afraid I'm going to get stuck in the submarine and have to go to the bathroom. I see. <laughs> And no one's okay. gonna, and everyone will look and point. Um, I see. So there's fear. maybe a little bit of shame and embarrassment because I had that too. If I think a about a little the bit, I'm all I'm more shame all? than man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's part of it too. In grade seven, grade eight, grade nine, you see your friends getting hammered. It was embarrassing. I mean, it's, that was the is, other. Yeah, it's so stupid. And you grew up in in Alberta, right? No, no, no. I'm from Ontario. Uh, Canada, okay. and uh, my family and I moved. Uh, my wife's family is from here. The real estate market and job market in Ontario has been so prohibitive in the last few years. Like right. we, had a, we couldn't move. We got two, four kid, four. We we have two kids now. My wife and I, and we had a two bedroom that Congrats. we started out in. Couldn't move. Bid on twelve houses. They'd say, "Oh, someone from Toronto's come in with a, an overbid by a hundred grand." And we'd be like a hundred yeah, grand and, ca- and cash, cash, yeah, yeah, cash. yeah, yeah, because they sell their Toronto, you know, shit house, shit box, and right, then they right, sure. they have all this money because the property is more valuable than the actual structure these days. Anyway, I don't want to go on a rant. Anyway, we moved here no, right. the very end of 2019, literally like December 28th, 2019, or something like that. Moved yeah. to a whole new place for my kids and I. At least my wife doesn't really know her friends are all gone. All this to say, the pandemic came. Like we got here and it was like minus 40 Celsius every day. And so you're like, I don't want to go outside. 
And then the right. pandemic happened. So just total lockdown and isolation. This trip yeah. I'd made to Tulsa, I went to Ontario uh, just a couple weeks ago to visit my family and to attend a memorial service. The next week I go to Tulsa, I'm a little freaked out. I actually had to leave a concert three times because I was, oh, sorry, the trip to Tulsa was to go to the Bob Dylan Center. I was invited uh-huh. to attend like some VIP grand opening thing, which was very nice. I got to see the center and they had three concerts yep. scheduled, Mavis Staples, Patti Smith and her band and Elvis Costello. I get there. I was told everyone had to wear masks. No one's wearing masks. Very few of us. Right. And so during right. the Elvis Costello show, I'll tell you, panicked. I had to go outside to the wow. to the smoking area three four times. I couldn't deal. It was the last of the three shows. They don't know this, right. by the way. I'm not. I'm not complaining. I just that's right. me. I I felt like I couldn't. Was it with the imposters or was he solo? It was with the imposters. So I had the mask on. A bunch of us did. Some of us, not a lot of us. And I couldn't. I was uh-huh. really packed, and I kept. I could. I felt like I couldn't. Yeah, no. Breathe, and I needed to go my, get some air. Yeah, my fiance. Uh, we were at Comic Con. This was in 2019, mm-hmm. and I didn't know this about her. Like she was like, uh, I might have to leave. <laughs> yeah, just because of the the crush of humanity. Yeah, which I don't have a like that. I'm fine with. I don't that that I'm fine with. But I understand like, but my stuff is equally irrational. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I I, 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 I totally I, get it. I know where it's coming from, and I know what I went. To, I had to when my my mom is okay, but when she got sick. With cancer, I had to start going to see someone to talk about a counselor. And they, yeah. they explained to me, like, you, first of all, you can't control everything. That was basically the subtext of every session. It, it, yeah. We went through my fears and anxieties. They're like, you can't, you can control certain things. Cause one of my things was I didn't like the dentist. And they're like, yeah, tell the dentist you're not happy and take a break. It's fine. You're, you're not a, <laughs> yeah, you're not a helpless being, but you also can't control what happened. Your mother's going to get sick and you can't, you're not a doctor. You can't fix that. And you're going to get sick and you can't control it. Like, so the, the control thing is really coming. Yeah. To I had that for in 19, I started, I had that in 1992 for about six months. I had stage fright. Oh, wow. Now I've been doing, I've been performing for 10 years by that point yeah. for a living. Yeah. And suddenly I was like, what if I am on stage for an hour and I just don't want to be there? <laughs> yeah yeah it's like and you just have to you just have to gut through it and uh you know and, and realize like i had again i had a therapist go like i always say like what if i have to go to the bathroom and he goes go to the bathroom yeah exactly <laughs> the, the things we escalate into problems that they're yeah. like yeah just go get out of the dentist chair go to the bathroom yeah. You can do yeah. that. Like you're not some prisoner of your own it's whatever called, making. Ca- my therapist called it catastrophizing. Yes, or circling. I think circling, looping. Something. Oh, that's oh, looping is good yeah. too. Looping yeah. is good too. You yeah, you just you can't get out of it. Anyway, I appreciate this background, and I appreciate that we're very similar in some ways. Yeah, uh, yeah, just yeah. Personality wise, because I like to think of it as ways that make us irresistible to the ladies. We're just <laughs> full of fear. <laughs> well. But it's also like, I think some of it is rooted in maybe, it is overthinking, probably, but some of it's just rooted in common sense. Like, I think it's, I'm not judging anyone, but like, I don't see the merit in getting wasted. Like, yeah, I don't either, especially when you were talking about, even in Ontario, a lot of times it's the winter, it's at night. Yeah. And so we're going to go out into the woods. And freeze and drink a cold beverage. 
Yeah. And I would just, even at the time, and I understand that this is not, I understand that I am in the far minority yeah. in this. I would be like, this is insane. <laughs> yeah, well, socially, this is nuts. socially, it's weird being in an arts and culture milieu and you don't do that stuff. Like, it can be. Yeah. But over time, as I established myself in various communities, it was just accepted. Like, no one, everyone understood. And uh, I'm happy not to do that stuff and, and also feel like I can leave whenever I want and not be worried about it. So, but I don't know. Did you feel like Boston in particular at that time, like you said, there people were like bartering rides for Coke, it sounds like. did you Oh, yeah. It was. And I always I always I never understood. And again, like it's so ingrained because I was raised in it, like mm. that we would be in, you know, in Boston at that point, you would do a gig in like Amherst, New Hampshire, that yeah. was an hour and a half outside of Boston. And then these guys would be desperate to get back to Boston by last call. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, why do you care? Yeah. What? Just get in your car and go home. I was like, no, these guys needed to get to the bar before it closed. It's a, an addiction. Like uh, it is yeah. an addiction. And they were to order two drinks because yeah. they did not want to wait for the second. Right. Yeah. And it never even hit me until later. But I, I say that with mm. full admission that I have a briefcase full of snakes in my head. <laughs> like, you know, I'm full of, <laughs> we, we, full of neuroses. Yeah, we all have our compulsions and, and uh, yeah. addictive aspects like – and a lot of it's about control. Like what you're describing about those guys, that's control. I need to get back to have yeah. a drink. And I have to get back to have a drink. Yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate all of that. Uh, so you're in, oh, of course. you're in Boston, 89, you moved to LA fairly, uh, I mean, in terms of comedy, it's not unusual to hear that at some point someone leaves whatever, uh, coast they're on and heads West right. and, and I yeah. work beckoned. What, what brought you to LA? Yeah, I didn't want to live in New York. Uh, I wanted to live in L.A. Uh, and I figured that it would be better to move to San Francisco. I, I had kind of done Boston. I'd kind of done, did it. And I knew I wanted to live in Los Angeles. And I knew I wasn't ready to live in Los Angeles. So I moved to San Francisco with the goal of sort of establishing a base on the West Coast of, you know, getting gigs so I could work and make money as a comedian on the road and then going down to L.A. and establishing a bit of a contacts in L.A., but living in San Francisco so I could get stage time and work more. Yeah. Um, and I will say it is one of the few instances in my life that worked exactly as planned. Wow. Um, it worked exactly the way I planned it. Uh, and I was very lucky in that regard. I, I when I watch you do stand up, uh, just as someone who speaks to artists, creative people, I can see the effort. Uh, sorry, let me put it this way: I'm not saying it's it comes across. Well, there's effort. There's a lot of effort. No, no. What I want to say though is it does come across with with this, like all like all great comedians. It comes across effortless, which of course has created this delusion. Among yeah. the populace, that oh, that's easy. Anyone can do that. Sure. What uh, I'm yeah, that's well put. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What I'm what I'm saying is, I can see the work you put in both on the in terms of the writing, but also the performative aspects. You're a very physical performer, if yeah. I might say. So I I just yeah. out, of, out of curiosity, do you have a sense of where that comes from? Who are your who are your people that you looked up oh, to at that point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I was a, when I was even as a kid. 
I was really into George Carlin. Mm-hmm. And then as I got older and, and that was even before I wanted to be a stand-up. I just like, he was so good. So, and he was, he was ubiquitous on TV in the seventies. And he was one of the few things that like everyone in my family, there's three things in my family that would create silence if it was on television, a sporting event, well, four things, a sporting event, a Clint Eastwood movie, the three stooges or George Carlin. Oh, wow. And uh, when he was, those are like the four things that everybody was like, shut up. And so I was like, oh, I can, well, I can do the last one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the last guy I can do. Yeah. And, and then as I got older and wanted to be a stand up, and, you know, I, I was 14 in 1978, which was the apex of Steve Martin's yes. explosion. Yes. And the original Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And those were like, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. Like there, you couldn't get bigger in comedy than they were. And so my, my appetite for comedy was, was sated, but I couldn't do like, I had no, I couldn't do what Steve Martin did. Like I didn't real, I didn't even realize what he was doing at the time that he was actually doing stand up comedy, but he was really doing a parody of stand up comedy. Mm -hmm. It was very meta. And, uh, but Carl and I could do, and then I started to watch, like get Richard Pryor albums. And I was a big fan of Albert Brooks. Mm-hmm. When I got a little bit older and my tastes became a little more refined yeah. uh, and all and Carlin Pryor Brooks, they're all very physical in, in, in their own way. I think with Albert, what I, what I stole from Albert Brooks, uh, lock, stock and barrel was a controlled mania. Like he's, when he's, when he's talking and he doesn't do stand up that much, but even when he's, if you watch him on, letterman or whatever show he's doing he's so full of energy and mania and it's controlled and i and i and i think that that's what i uh what i have on stage and it's not intentional it's just my persona i'm the same way like i love going to dinner with a bunch of people and trading stories yeah and i'm as animated as i am yeah uh when i do that it's just uh fun it's interesting just hearing that trajectory because if i may be reductive You've got Carlin and Pryor. Sorry, I have to. I have to do it for my audience. When you're they not mean, controlling, you're reductive. I am. Just... I'm. I'm. I'm a reductive controller. That's what they call me at work. No. So with Pryor and Carlin, of the people you mentioned, with and this is my observation. You can correct me if I'm wrong. You know more about it than I do. Pryor and Carlin kind of start out observational, a little crowd pleasing, I would say. But then they get uh, <laughs> militant. Yeah, they, they get, yeah they evolve. They, they, they evolve. They definitely, yeah, they, yeah, they evolve with the counterculture. Uh, right. They 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 changed with the culture in the late sixties, early nineteen seventies. Right. That. You're talking about you're talking about Carlin and Pryor on Sullivan on 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 American talk shows. Probably is when well, I assume you mostly would see them on TV. Is that fair? Yeah, you'd see them on like well, Car- Pryor was harder to see. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm with Pryor. I'm more talking about right out of, like uh, like late high school. Okay, um, okay. His his albums. His albums. And, okay. And we had one of the first pay services for TV. Oh. Uh, that was called. It was called. This is 1979, and it was called Starcase. Star- it was called Starcase. Yeah. I've not Star heard of that. Starcase. Yeah, and it was Star a box Case. on your okay. it was a box on your TV, and you could get, you know, the the movies that they showed were it was like they showed Apocalypse Now, 
Serial with Martin Mull. Oh, yeah. Stardust, Stardust Memories, the Woody Allen movie. Cleaned up dirty movies, which is why I think my dad got it. And uh, and Richard <laughs> Pryor live in concert. The first oh, nice. Live in concert. So I saw Richard Pryor live in concert a hundred times when I was in ninth grade. And I was like, oh, okay, that. That. When I was in Ontario, I was stayed with my parents. I was in Ontario recently, and I stayed with my parents. And uh, they said something about the TV that the TV wasn't working. They have some maybe illegal cable hookup. I don't want to call my parents out right now. They got some weird. It's not regular cable, but it's some. They pay a guy, and it's fifteen bucks a month. And anyway, it's like internet, internet. Yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah. Some, they, something's dodgy there. <laughs> it wasn't working at one point, and they said something that brought me back to my childhood because my parents would refer to everything the remote control. And the cable hookup thing, the box, they would call it the box. The box isn't working. Did you, uh-huh. they're from India. They they never had a box or any boxes, I don't think, before oh, that. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you guys call it the box? I just thought that was maybe yeah. my culture. Yeah, the box. Everyone yep. called it the box. Yep. Okay. Call, yeah, everyone called the box. Yep. <laughs> anyway, okay, sorry. 100%, that was a, 100% that was correct. A bit of a tangent. So you got Carlin, Pryor, they're, I think it's fair to say, doing observational, crowd-pleasing comedy, they evolve. Then you get to Martin and Brooks' meta-comedy, really yeah. taking the form and turning it inside out. And then we've got you. Uh, are you some <laughs> amalgam of all these sensibilities and approaches, would you say? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like I'm so, not on their level, but I definitely think that I... And again, this is really navel gazing and it's, you know, talking about comedy is like dissecting a frog. We're going to kill the frog, just so you know. Yeah, um, I appreciate that. But I think that. that I will, I would say that I am autobiographical in the way that Richard Pryor is autobiographical, although, uh, you know, he's a 10 and I'm a 1 in terms of talent. <laughs> but, uh, you know, in terms of like most of my material, my best material is here's something that happened to me. I write a lot like Carlin. Like I like to work in those sort of word games and I'm very careful about what words I use and I'll do like Carlin will write bits the way a songwriter will write a song. Like there'll be a theme and a refrain and a, um, the best bits. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I aspire to that. I've done it. I've succeeded a couple of times mm-hmm. and then I do, I think I have, from Albert, I, I got a sense of that controlled mania and um, stage presence, I guess, yeah. would be the, the thing. My wife and I were watching yeah. a special of yours last night, and she just instinctively is like, he kind of reminds me of like Steve Martin. And I was like, yeah, I'm that sure that so I'm sure that's in there. Just watching you, it was something about your outfit and your glasses, and I think the way <sighs> You delivered jokes. I mean, there were some of them. I think she commented after a particularly harsh joke, as I recall. But uh, I thought I thought that was well, in- that could I was be like, anyone. Yeah, exactly. Any of them. I just thought that was interesting that she picked up on that because I picked up on it too. And you cited him just oh. now, so I'm just saying my wife and I know what we're talking about. That's all I was. Oh, okay. At. Well, I would. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, I, I think probably later, Steve Martin. Yeah. More than the wild and crazy guy, Steve Martin. Oh. I don't see the analogy, but like, but like, sort of the. The way that Steve Martin looks like a very normal guy, but will say things that are pretty left of field. And that's better. You know, it's like it's I I believe it's more dangerous to look basically decent. You know, it's like nine times out of ten, if a guy has crazy hair and a leather jacket these days, 
uh, his act is probably not going to be as dangerous as his appearance. Absolutely, yeah, would I, imply. Yes, that's fair to say. And I, yeah. I actually just recently rewatched. Uh, Steve Martin really used SNL well uh, after his sort of the explosion of the arena tours, and I feel like he deliberately became a movie star and calmed. I mean, that took him off the road, but he did stuff right. at SNL. Like, there's the bit where he. Uh, his Christmas wish, I, I want to say. Do you know that bit where he's just like, if I had one wish, I would ask for this. And it just gets increasingly selfish and weird. And it's just that kind <laughs> of like misdirection. And you're there's a guy in a suit just saying the most absurd things. And I think that's what maybe what my wife picked up on with you, uh, the presentation as well. So anyway. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I don't. It, that's funny. I didn't. I didn't. Uh... I, I I have to look that up. <laughs> I think I remember it. I do. I actually do think I remember it now. Yeah. I do think I remember it now. No, it's a good bit. He had a lot of them, like in the eighties yeah. when he came, eighties and nineties when he came back to SNL. Was it was always was a medieval crossbow made of white chocolate in there? That, there might be one of those. Yeah, I can't remember the litany of things. It's like anyway. It's it's not necessarily worth talking about. But I, I if you want, I can send you. The, no, it's send you the link later. Yeah, I would. I would like. To, I would like to see that. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, okay, we're we're back, and I want to take us back to L.A. You say it worked out for you well when you got there uh-huh. around '89. Yeah. I think for some of us, you're known as a writer, an actor, or rather a comedian and an actor. But you you write and you've written and you've executive produced. Or you've... yeah, I'm more of a writer than an actor. For so sure. where do you think? Where did that distinction come from? You started as a stand-up. Why, why did writing... I did start as... I did, and I just assumed that I was going to be a big movie star. <laughs> you know, I, just, I just naturally assumed I was going to be a big star. Yeah. yeah. Um, I had agents and managers tell me I was going to be a big star, so why, why would they be wrong? They, they drove BMWs. What is your, um, uh, what is your de- definition of a big star? For some of us, you well, are I very successful. I yeah. I you no, know, I thought when I first moved here, I thought that I would be Steve Martin, Jack or I guess the equivalent would be like Will Ferrell, Jack Black, like Yeah, yeah. And, and this was before they were famous. Yeah. But achieve their level like I'll be in movies and TV shows and and live in a big house with a pool. And then I met uh Ben Stiller who was not yet famous and I spent a couple of days with Ben cuz we had a mutual friend. And uh, Janine Garofalo. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. And uh, after hanging out with Ben for about 10 minutes, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I can't compete with this. <laughs> oh, he had that his star power. And he, his yeah. Fo- yeah. And his focus and his drive were so obvious. It was just like, don't get. And I don't, I'm not ragging him. I'm complimenting him. You know, it was like, yeah, it was just like, don't get in this guy's way. He knows what he wants. He's got his eye on the prize. The Ben Stiller, um, the Ben Stiller show, if I may say, which I, yeah. I want to say came out in 92 or something like that. Yeah. I think two, I think. Yeah. So I watched it. I watched, I don't know what was, so at 92, I'm 14, 15 years old. And that came on. It was like nothing else. I fell in love sure. with so the for those who don't know it's Ben Stiller, Janine Garofalo, Andy Dick, Bob Odenkirk were the main cast. Right. 
Did you work? Right. Did you work on David Cross. and David Cross was? I was a writer. Yeah. I was a writer yeah. on the. I, I wrote on it, and uh, David Cross came in uh, into the season. That's right, and uh, it was very short. It was a one season, and that's where David met Bob. And that yeah, just one season, and that's yeah. where David met Bob. Yeah. I have the DVD set downstairs, which I think includes um, a lost episode or, or something like that. Uh, so oh, that, okay, I believe it does. I'm fairly sure it's like the unaired episode. I don't know how. Yeah. Can- I, oh yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. It suggests to me the show got. Got super canceled uh, that they didn't even put yes, out. Yes, the- it did. It did get super canceled. It did. It did get super canceled. It got super canceled by uh, a guy named Sandy Grushow, oh. who uh, took over Fox. And the, his first official act was canceling the show. That's so horrible to me because that show was different than any other sketch show. Uh, also, a launching pad. We should say, I think, in some regards. For Judd Apatow, who was also working on the oh yeah no there's no in some regards in all regards yeah he was he was uh, working yeah, on the Larry, how, uh, was he working on that first or the Larry Sanders show it was somewhere he no, was he was working on Stellar he was working yeah. on Stellar first he yeah. was working on Stellar yeah so really a launching pad I introduced Judd, I introduced Judd to Ben oh and six weeks later he was my boss <laughs> <laughs> so okay so. I appreciate that you sound like you're at but peace. But I'm glad he's done well. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you're at peace with the fact that you have a station in life where these other dudes and people became sort of more household, sure. household names. Do you – let's keep in mind that you're at peace with this. Do you have I am, any – I am very much so. <laughs> do you have any – I have nothing to complain about. No, you're doing well. <laughs> do you have any perspective on that though? Like you say Ben had the drive. Like I say, I know you from various. I don't things. know. I yeah. I don't I don't know. I mean, I like to think that had the career that I can handle. Hmm. You know, the example that I give is I auditioned for uh, for SNL at uh, in the early '90s, and it was me and and two other guys, and we were uh, flown to Chicago to audition for the show and uh i went up first and had the set of my career i mean it was just like as people would say moved the building and then the other guy went up people were laughing no it was just it was everything was just an 11 it was just like one of those things just boom boom i just just hit it at the right time you know nice and then the other guy went up and he did okay. And then the third guy went up and just kind of effed around. I mean, the, the evening, in terms of the audience response, the evening started high and right. dwindled. And I walked off stage thinking, well, okay, I got SNL. This is the start of my lifelong plan. This yeah. is, and literally thinking, so this is what it's like. This is how it feels <laughs> when you are welcomed into the emperor's chambers. And you become greater than normal people. <laughs> and then in my neurosis, I went to control. Do I buy boxes? How do I, what do I do with my apartment? Do I get rid of my apartment? Do I sublet my apartment? What do I do with my car? Wow. Um, yeah. yeah, I went right. And this is all like that night. I'm flying back the next day with the two other comedians. And uh, we're sitting in the three row. And I'm looking at them thinking, Adam Sandler, Chris Rock, you guys will have your opportunity. But. <laughs> This is all about me. <laughs> and uh, uh, we all, and, uh, yeah, we know how that. They got out. it and I did. They got huh. it and I didn't. Hmm. But I think it was a year later. I had friends on the, in the cast. Janine was in the cast. And, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I went to visit them and they were miserable. Like, yeah. I don't think I would have done well on that show. Um, yeah. I'm not that 
kind of weirdly competitive in a, in a, in a weird way. And had I gotten SNL at that time, I probably wouldn't have married the girl I was dating, yeah. which I did. Yeah. And I wouldn't have the children that I have, which I want. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I was still a hot property and I did a lot of, I had specials and albums and I was on a lot of sitcoms and things like that. Yeah. You know, every sit, I'm on every sitcom in the nineties, like Roseanne, the nanny, the Seinfeld. I just, I show up all, I had so many checks for a dollar 57. Um, Come on. Does that all you got? Come on. 30 year old. Oh, yeah. After a while, residuals go right in the toilet. Oh, residuals. Um, right, 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 right. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I thought you were saying that's what but, they paid uh, you to be on the show. I'm like, what? No, no, no. At the time it was, no, at the time it was five. Twenty-seven fifty, I think, was SAG minimum. Oh, okay. And then I wrote a pilot for myself to do that, that sold and got made. And Kevin McDonald was in it. Oh. Like, I was acting with Kevin McDonald. From the, from the, know, like, from the kids like, in the hall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kids in the yeah. hall. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. And, you know, and, and that to me was like, okay, I made it. Because I, I was a fan of kids in the hall. And now I'm a peer with them. Yeah. You know, you know, you know, it's I'm friends. I'm friends. With- you know, what's funny is that Thursday that I was talking about the fateful Thursday where you and I didn't speak. Yeah. Also was supposed to talk, talk to kids in the hall. I lost. Oh, you're, yeah. I lost two conversations in one day. It was horrible. There you go. I'm supposed to talk to them as we're speaking. I'm supposed to talk to them next week. Right. Then, but I feel like a horrible person because of this plane. Anyway, yeah. I love kids in the hall. They don't care. No, they don't. No, care. no. They're, they're doing the tonight show. They're fine. Kevin, maybe Kevin, maybe Kevin might care a little bit. Yeah. Can I tell you um, a quick Kevin McDonald story real quick? Real quick. It's really short. You can tell me a long one. I Kevin McDonald was, couldn't love the guy. Kevin more. McDonald was doing a workshop in uh, Guelph, like a comedy workshop thing where I lived in Guelph, mm-hmm. Ontario. We had done a phone interview uh, a week before and I'd posted it as an episode of, of this show. And then as I was approaching the venue where he was due to perform and do some stuff, I saw him on the street and we'd never met before. I'd only interacted with him on the on the phone. And he was looking at his phone. And when I approached, I said, uh, oh, uh, hi, Kevin. And without looking up from his phone, he said, hi, Kevin. And it totally, <laughs> I didn't know what to do. And he and I said, what? He's like, oh, that's just a thing I do. It's just a thing I do. And then I've tell, told other kids in the hall, they just crack up. They think that's classic Kevin. So I just wanted to share that story because he's very, very funny. That's he's just great. a... Oh, yeah. And, and lovely. A lovely yeah. guy. I love it. So anyway, yeah, so anyway, long story longer, I wrote a pilot and it got made and it didn't get picked up to series. But what I discovered was I actually liked writing it mm. more than I liked acting in it. And by that time, I was about to get married, and I'd been doing stand-up for a long time already. Uh, and the idea, of, you know, and this is also like comedy by now is kind of the the 80s boom is dying. It's entering a fallow period. And I'd been doing it for a long time and bought a house, was getting married, and I got an offer to go work on The Simpsons. And and that just became very appealing of like, hey, do you want to be a normal person? You know, you're like, you own a home, you're married, you get up in the morning, you go to work, your work is fun. And then you come home at night and you have dinner with your wife and you watch TV and you go to bed. And that was really appealing to me. Yeah. And uh, I, enjoy, I really enjoyed it. Can you? <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Given, given what you do, though, like you're describing a really uh, optimal nine to five Si- oh sure, I, like I'm, and I'm not unaware of that. But are you? I wasn't going to work in a foundry. I mean, I no, 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 no. <laughs> but I mean, you, you know what? As we're speaking, and it's sort of 
because of the pandemic, it's shifted things around. You were we were seeing a lot more movie stars doing TV shows and saying this is amazing. Uh-huh. I don't. I go to yeah, this, and you'll see more of it yeah. now that movies are sort of going away. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just saying, but I think when you talk to them, when they when a person gets to the age where they have a family. It's just like this is insane. You want me to go to Australia to shoot a movie for six months? Like I don't, yeah. I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. So I think, as you know, this too. You know the the best thing about kids is it, it, it's sort of narcissistic and it's anti narcissism. Is that the, the one of the great things about kids is it's not about me anymore. Yeah. Uh, and I found that a tremendous relief. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree um, and I I love If they're if they're happy, healthy, well-fed and educated, I'm a success. It's that sentiment has been heightened in recent years, I will say yeah. that, and having yeah. moved them cuz my wife will sometimes be like, "I don't know, what's they seem like upset." I'm like, "We moved them across the country yeah. away from their friends. Now there's a pandemic. Like there's a lot yeah. going on in their little There's oh. low I think all of us are I don't know about you and I don't want to speak on your behalf, but there's like low I've described it as like low level stress every yeah. day oh, since right. this if it's not heightened by like me having to flee an Elvis Costello show, it's just low. It's just always there, you know? Yeah, and it's I, always there. It's 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 always it's always humming underneath. Yeah. So you you get into the Simpsons. Uh this is a huge deal for you i'm guessing what so nine to five where i was coming from with that nine to five business is as a creative person as a comedian can you turn your brain off like can you stop at five and stop thinking of funny things no 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 i mean i'm a workaholic i you know while i was on this like one i did do the simpsons but i still did stand up i mean i would i didn't stop doing stand i couldn't go on the road but i did shows in la all the time yeah and uh and i wrote Four movies, I think, during my time at The Sims. Like, I was always, I made a short movie. You know, I the thing that I did realize after I had been there a while was that I was still a bigger fan of me than I was of the show. Mm. Um, and, you know, that eventually led to me leaving the show after, you know, seven years. I was, was really like, I I have done this. Seven years. And, so when did, what year did you leave again? 20... 20- uh, 2000 to 2007, eight, seven, eight, right. Yeah. I okay. Yeah. Right. And that's a, um, that's a symptom or a signal or something. I don't know what it is. It's an aspect of being a self-propelling force. When you're a comedian, you're really autonomous. And so when you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure you've had this as soon as you get into like even shooting scenes on a sitcom, you start to feel like, Oh, I'm in a parameter based yeah. situation it's, here and I'm used to just doing whatever I want. You did a job for seven years and probably felt a little of that that bristling like i felt i felt the uh, i i felt like i was kind of making tires i was just like okay i know how to I, yeah. we've done this yeah. you know we, we, we've but that said i mean it was a, it was an, a an, a great job and i learned how to write there i worked in a room every day with the best writers i'll ever meet and and the funniest the funniest people i've ever met you know like i know a lot of famous comedians. I don't know anybody funnier than George Meyer. Right. You know, and George Meyer can walk down. It looks like any guy you see at the hardware store, but like, I've never, like I'm in awe of like people like George Meyer, Mike Scully, John Schwartzwelder. I'm just in awe of them. And, and I realized it was great. It was like, you know, famous doesn't mean funniest. Yeah. And fame is ridiculous. 
if you you know it's just like it, if if you can do what you want to do you win yeah you know yeah. like i have this stupid show on youtube called hanging with dr z yeah. that i think is the best thing i've ever done <laughs> and uh you know uh the fact that i that my work has allowed me to do that is to me is a success and i you know it's like you know, so I'm I'm every bit as I'm every bit as fulfilled by doing that as by being in you know as I would have by being in Jumanji or you know whatever. You know. <laughs> you're still um, going. You're still going for roles and stuff. You still do that stuff. I don't go for them, but I yeah. I mean, like I I mean I'm doing a movie. Like I do little. Like I'm doing a movie that a friend of mine is doing. Like a who's in a punk band and they're making a movie. <laughs> it's oh. sort of like the punk rock magical mystery tour and um, oh. you know it's like it's got guys from the circle jerks in it oh and, nice uh yeah and um my, my friend rob zabrecki who was a lead singer of possum dixon and oh okay uh, you know a lot of people and it and i'm like you know i'm doing that and i'm writing on a tv show now and writing a feature and write and, and doing dr z like and have a podcast and i think like i i'm super 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 busy yeah but no i never became as famous as like ben or chris or Adam, but um, I can't complain. No, it, I, I don't think you can. Yeah. I'm telling you right now, you yeah. can't complain. We think <laughs> some of us think you're doing quite well for yourself. With your- yeah, yeah, that's and it's it, it's all. You know, I would rather be I would rather be somebody that always was like at a four. Yeah. Than somebody that was at a ten and is now at a four. Yeah. What happened to you? Yeah. <laughs> the, what do you make of the? The evolution of the Simpsons situation that has occurred, they've shifted. Uh, I, I think you know what I'm talking about. There was a lot of controversy about who was voicing who and representation. They seem to have listened after some time yeah. of not listening. I know. I don't know if you're still in touch with people there. It's been a long time since you've been involved in any. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I am. Yeah, it's like the mafia. You're always, you're always there. there. <laughs> what do you make yeah. of how they've finally, I guess, I, I don't mean to put, no, I'll say finally responded. Yeah. I, yeah, I I wasn't there when it went through that growth. Uh, I, I, growth is painful. Uh, talk to a thirteen-year-old, um, and uh, and ugly, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and and sometimes necessary. And uh, I think it's fine. I mean, you you the the only thing that I can say is there was never an ill intention to anything. Yeah. It was sort of frozen in amber from 1990 like when it started on the Tracy Ullman show. Yeah. And it, you know for a long time it was the gold standard. So yeah, it's not surprising that it would become a little isolated and insulated. Yeah. And then it had to catch up. And a lot of times you don't know you don't know you're doing the wrong thing. And your instinct is to say, no, I'm not, because if I'm not a hateful person, how can you accuse me of doing a hateful thing? Well, uh, yeah. And it takes, you get a step back and acknowledge that you don't know what you don't know. I grew up loving The Simpsons, and it wasn't until I got into maybe university or, or college, as you Americans call it. No, you call them universities, too. Mm-hmm. I got into university and uh, I gained a greater appreciation and perspective about my difference. Mm-hmm. I, it happened 
my thing was like uh, growing up in grade school, I would undercut the racism by by doing it to myself and using the words against myself, mm-hmm. uh, not really realizing what I was doing. You know, it's the equivalent of people uh, reclaiming yeah. negative well, terminology. And sure. I did it. I did it and it made the white kids laugh. Right. And they couldn't do it. I just, I weapon, I didn't know what I was doing. Right. I get, but I will say, you know what I'm getting at? I do. And, I, and I'll, 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 I'll yeah. say this. I learned that Kids of, of East Asian descent and Indian descent were, or in Palestinian descent were called Apu derogat- as a derogatory. Yeah. Had we known that at the time, yeah. we would have dropped that character like a bad habit. Yeah. Um, it never entered anyone's mind, which is not to say we didn't care. It's to say it never entered anyone's mind. And what I what I was going to say is it didn't bother me as I was really engrossed in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, if I I don't think there was anything explicit, but my parents were of. If I told my parents, particularly at university age, that my roommates were very excited that I brought Indian food back with me the last time I came home from my mother and my father, right. they'd say what. The Canadian kids <laughs> like the Indian food, yeah. And sure, so, yeah. there any representation? If the, so, they were aware of the Simpsons. They were mm. aware of Apu. They were aware of references to Ganesh and Hinduism, and that was them. So, I think yeah. on some level, they didn't view it, and I didn't view it as disparaging or problematic. It was to. It was like, oh, someone for my family. It wasn't me, I don't think, but my parents probably thought, oh, someone's talking about. Our right. culture. They didn't even yeah, recognize I, I, it. I, yeah, I yeah. think it's it's mixed, you know, because yeah. there were respectful, you know, we did, you know, The Simpsons are, is also one of the only families on television that goes to church regularly. I mean, it's a, it's a, yeah. it's a yeah, pretty, yeah. it's a, it's a mixed, it's a mixed yeah. bag. I think people want to see, people see what they want to see. But you know, it's hard in terms of like, I, in, in terms of the sort of cultural revolution that we've gone over yeah. in the past 10 yeah. years. And like anything, yeah, the pendulum swings really far and then it kind of resettles yeah. um, it, it goes to an extreme and then it resettles and and it's hard but you can't you don't want to be the guy complaining about you know I hear white male comedians complaining about wokeism yeah and what I see in my mind is Bob Hope and Jack Benny making fun of the Beatles <laughs> yeah you know it's like you don't want to be that guy yeah and you know at a certain point after 35 40 years old culture isn't pointed at you anymore that's right it's pointed at the younger people right and it's your and you know there's a great quote john entwistle the bassist for the who was complaining that he didn't understand rap music and pete townsend said it's not our job to understand it it's our job to get the fuck out of the way yeah and uh and he was he's right you know that's um you know if you don't like if you don't like, you know, not being able to, uh, you know, affect an effeminate voice or a black voice anymore, tough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Things are different now. I, if evolution doesn't favor the strongest, it favors that which is the most adaptable to change. Yes. And you, 
you have to change and grow where you go. That's you know, that's, that's very well put, Dana, and I appreciate that perspective because I and I, I say that as somebody who like if you saw the special I saw, you saw like there's stuff on that that uh, to use the sweaty old expression I could not do today. Said that but, said that exact thing to my wife today. Yeah, said that exact yeah, thing and, about the the special we watched. Is the I one, know what's wrong is the one. Yeah, and it's the one. Yeah, yeah it's the one. Yeah, the last 15 minutes of that is not cool. <laughs> probably not, but. Probably not. No, no, there's no probably. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, but that's right. the way the world is. Like you can't, on some level, you can measure those things up against uh, the past. You, you can Rocho measure some Marx, things from the past. Rocho Marx yeah. uh, sang like Paul Robeson. Yes. Duck soup. There's a lot of problems that we don't really realize are problems to like i said i didn't realize till university in some ways what i was doing as a kid was wrong because those yeah, jokes sure. those well, jokes yeah. in a more enlightened atmosphere the self-effacing jokes they're like ah we don't sorry we're yeah we don't need to hear those words and i was like yeah i don't even like saying those words anymore uh i'm gonna stop as well and so yeah. it, it, that's things change. I, James Bond doesn't rape women anymore. Exactly, <laughs> you know things change. Things change. I, I, we become enlightened, <laughs> and things change, and we all, yeah. yeah I appreciate that. Now, uh, you are doing these uh, uh, a show or shows in Vancouver. Um, I'm doing a show on uh, May 27th or 8th or something uh, like that. The Rio yeah. Theater, yeah. at the Rio Theater. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, I, I'll I'll include all that uh, info in the uh, podcast description so people can get tickets. You can bring your children, but they will leave profoundly damaged. <laughs> uh, May 28th, uh, May, 28th. May 28th at yeah. the Rio Theater. Right. Yeah. So my question yeah. is, I want to uh, obviously we don't want to spoil. Uh, your set, uh, but your your country in particular is very fraught. Uh, you know what? <laughs> your country is always very fraught, socio culturally. We were told that we're God's favorite country. You think? <laughs> is, you think things would be a lot more peachy? <laughs> I I see from your your social media feeds that you are a very outspoken and wise uh, observer of of what's happening or what has been happening. Yeah. Um, how much? But but I know as a comedian. Uh, you might you want to entertain people. How much of what's yeah? I don't. I don't. I'm not about. I yeah. I don't. My act is not about that. My act is 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 pretty inclusive, and I try to do again to to borrow from Carlin. I try to step back and take the meta view, and you know I I no one is gonna leave uh alienated or attacked. It's mostly self referential but there's also a way that you can make your point. Which I do uh, in a way that's it's not personal. Yeah, you know, yeah. so like it, it, you know, it's in terms of like socio political differences, and I know it's probably the same in Canada. It's acute in America. We've gone from I'm right and you're wrong to I'm right and you're evil. Yeah, and because there are people that make money off that. Yeah, the people that make the most money off it don't even believe what they're saying. Yeah, that's just what they do for a living. Yeah, and. Uh, I'm not a fan of of nihilism in any stripe. Yeah. You know, it's all going to burn. Okay. Okay, person without kids. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and I and I also I'll I'll, I'll give you an example uh, of something that I say that's like here's something that's probably not correct, but you no know, 
having dinner with a bunch of people. And and my my uh, oldest daughter is in college right now. She just started uh, uh, being uh, she's a freshman. And somebody said, so what is your daughter studying? I said, well, we're very, very proud of her. She worked really hard and she studied and uh, really is really dedicated. And she's uh, uh, majoring in uh, becoming a stripper. We're very, very happy. (laughs) And somebody at the table went, but if that's what she wanted to do, that would be okay." And I was like, nope. (laughs) It wouldn't be. <laughs> uh, I want sex workers to have insurance and a union yeah. and uh, all the safety in the world. But if you want to tell me that being a lawyer or a doctor is the same as giving hand jobs behind the goodwill, I'm going to say you're full of shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a fair assessment, Dana. I think that's not yeah. that's not that controversial to me. Um, but, but you would be surprised. Yeah. But you would be surprised. Yeah. you would be surprised it is a it you is know, a weird like, you know, at a certain point you're just nuts. yeah it's, it's a strange <laughs> terrain in that regard i have children i don't i want the best for them but yeah there is this yeah. constant uh moving of the goalpost in terms of what being the best is and what you know yeah. so yeah. yeah what if it's what they want she also wanted to eat crayons <laughs> i wasn't a big fan <laughs> of that either <laughs> okay so it's it is uh, in the realm of personal observational kind of comedy you're not getting too deep into that okay now no it's not uh it's 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 not that so how long uh, as i recall when it's about somebody who's in the world right so right can't avoid it i remember uh, i want to say it was four or five years ago uh you had a release on kill rock stars uh mr funny man is that what it was mr funny man yeah yeah how many have you had specials since then Yes, uh, earlier this year I had a, a documentary and a film come out called Joyride, which mm-hmm. is currently streaming. It's uh, and, and the audio and the album of it comes out in uh, next month. Oh. And what, what Joyride was was Bobcat Goldthwait and I oh. started to do this yes, thing yes, yes, yes. where we started to go on the road together. And we figured, like, if we go on the road together, we can sell out a, a large venue, like a 300, 400-seater. And we only have to do one night, and then we go to the next town. And we would uh, flip a coin to see who would go on first and who would go on second. And we would go out and F around for a couple of minutes, flip a coin, and then somebody would leave and somebody would stay. Mm -hmm. And what we found was people really liked it when we were on stage together. And so one night we we just said, let's just see how long we can stay on stage together. And we were on there for like two and a half hours. Oh, wow. And it flew by. Yeah. Uh, and we both did our act, but we did it concurrently. I, like I would literally like we would be talking and something and that would trigger something in Bob. I knew his inventory. He knew my inventory and he would step forward and I would step back and then we would go oh, wow. back and forth in tandem. Nice. Yeah. We didn't have two man bits. We would just kind of do it in tandem. Yeah. It was great. And we did a tour and then filmed it. And then, uh, we were uh, going to release it as a concert, as a concert, you know, special. And COVID happened. Uh-huh. And so suddenly Bob had all of this time, uh, this free time. So what he did was he built a documentary about our relationship because although we are best friends today, we used to hate each other, mm. hate each other. So... Like not like a not you didn't have like a Seinfeld level of hate for Bob, did you? 
No, well, no one could. <laughs> <laughs> this is sorry, everyone. This is just a common knowledge that for some reason something happened there, and uh, yeah, Jerry, it's, 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 addre- it's addressed in the documentary. Oh, okay. You can, yeah, it's addressed as Bobcat says. Jerry Seinfeld finally has an opinion, and it's about me. Um, but uh, but no, but no. What happened was Bob lived in Boston with a group of comedians that are were our mutual friends, and then he moved to San Francisco. And then I moved into Boston and I became and I sort of took his place. And so when he came back, I was like the new guy. I was like dad's new wife. And, uh, you know, it just got off on a bad foot and stayed there for 15 years. Um, But no, we're creepily identical in terms of the stuff that we like. And we are adults now, grown men. And uh, he's one of my best friends. So he did the documentary that not only deals with our relationship with each other, but our relationship with comedy. Yeah. And, 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 and it's not how we became comedians, but why we became comedians. And, and there's a lot of footage of our early careers and our early childhoods. And it dispersed with that is us on stage. Oh, nice. Uh, and uh, yeah, you can see it on uh, iTunes. It's called Joyride. So wait, it's it is out, it's all it is out now. Then people can watch it's out it. now. It's, okay. Yeah, it's, you can okay. watch it. Watch it tonight. Um, that's a lot of me. That's a lot of me for <laughs> no, you no, to have fine. to watch. I uh, yeah. I was sent a. And the album comes out next month. The album on, comes out uh, next month on Eight Hundred Pound Gorilla. So the album will be a distillation of the stand-up stuff you guys yep. did together. Okay, yep. yeah. yeah. I uh, I was sent a press release about this film, and I did reach out. Uh, at the, it must have been pre-COVID or whatever it was. And uh, I did reach out to be like, oh, I'd love to talk to Bob and Dana. So I'm glad. Uh, it found, oh, well, I apologize for them not calling no, you back. No, no, it's fine. People, Heads are going to roll. People are busy. I'm sure I'd like to catch up with Bo- uh, with Bobcat at some point, and maybe we will someday. Uh, yeah, he's doing great. Yeah, he's good, doing great. good. Well, so uh, that's amazing. If people want to learn more about you and your work that we've talked about and your upcoming tour dates and all those sorts of things, Dana, where would you like to send them? Go to danagool.com. Okay. It's all there. You can go to my tour dates. You can go to my podcast. You can go to Hanging with Dr. Z. And you can go to my weekly, uh, I have a weekly sort of newsletter called uh, The Cinemorph, which is just my area of interest, which is just weird Hollywood crap from, not from today, yeah. from the 20s to the 70s. Oh. Um, and, uh, or even into the, uh, into the 80s. But, uh, you know, it's just, you know, it's it'll get you through it it'll get you through a visit to the bathroom you have some very fascinating conversations in your podcast about things like uh stunt people just like uh yeah. that's just fascinating like that's it's it, yeah that's i just i'm interested in other i'm interested in stuff yeah <laughs> no it's great yeah uh okay and then you're on all socials and stuff like that uh, yeah that, i'm all yeah you like, all you crap. Li- although my favorite is instagram you like instagram the best i keep hearing yeah, that yeah. people are less yeah. enamored of Twitter and they like Instagram now for some reason. Well, you know, I, again, and here's an example of the kind of stuff you'll hear on stage. Uh, <laughs> you know, just go on Twitter tomorrow morning and, and, and just post quietly. I like French toast <laughs> and just check back in 20 minutes. Like, Fuck French toast! <laughs> yes, your Majesty. It's like it's so. All right, come on. Come yeah, on. People are very angry about everything, and they have uh, yeah. so many platforms to express it now. Maybe there, that yeah. has contributed to the deterioration of decorum and civility a in our society. Of, 
Yeah, a lot of Twitter used to be done by people walking down the median of the interstate pushing a grocery cart. <laughs> well, and no one back then said, let's pull over and hear what they have to say. <laughs> it's true. We do hear from these people. I have this at one of my jobs. They want to send me all the feedback every day. I'm like, why? Yeah. Why do we need yeah, to hear from care. all the comments? <laughs> it's like, who cares? <laughs> anyway. Uh, exactly. All right. Exactly. So why do you think I care? Why, is, why are we caring about this? Anyway. Uh, okay. DanaGould.com. Uh, Dana, thank you so much for spending any time with me at all. I really, really... Oh, my pleasure. No, it was great. I I, really enjoyed the conversation. I appreciated it too, and I wish you the best of luck in the future. Super cool. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, that was a lot of fun. Thank you very much to Dana Gould for appearing on this the 689th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you've heard about and you're looking for it, uh, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can also like Creative Control on Facebook or follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative, or you can follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram at vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast right away. Uh, a, a big thank you to everyone who supports the show on Patreon. That is the primary source of revenue, really the only substantial source of revenue for this show. Otherwise, I'm just doing this for free, and uh, that, that sometimes gets to me. So I appreciate all the support financial or, uh, on, on there, the financial support I meant to say there. $6 or more a month grants you access to exclusive content uh, that can include, uh, uh, you know, overtime with current guests. Sometimes I also dig into my past archive of old interviews and I post things up there where they see, when they seem relevant, you know. So uh, go to patreon.com slash creative control to support the show uh, however you can. Also, if you're interested in receiving a creative control t-shirt, just message me on Patreon and I'll get you one while supplies last. Thanks again to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton for their in-kind support for this show. Thanks, as always, to my friend Jim Guthrie. He lets me use some music of his on the show, and you can learn more about Jim at his website, jimguthrie.org. He's always up to something. Not schemes, just music, usually. Maybe there's some scheming. I shouldn't have said that, maybe. Also, thank uh, you. Finally, you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Dana Gould. I hope you enjoyed it and we'll check out Dana's work. I also hope you'll consider subscribing to or following this podcast, however you access podcasts. And I hope you'll tell your friends about the show. 
help spread the word about it. That's really how it gets around. That means a lot. Anyway, thank you so much for everything you do. I hope you stay safe and sane in this somewhat unsafe and weird world, and I will talk to you very soon. Bye for now. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.